Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering, delivering made-from-scratch hot meals and individual boxed lunches for fast distribution to offices, warehouses, and factories, even on nights and weekends. Details are at grandmascatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. Today is Wednesday, October 25th. Coming up, the vast majority of liver transplants use organs from a deceased donor. But that's starting to change. We'll hear one Kansas woman's story of choosing to donate part of her liver. I think I did say, can I give you a hug? And I think I gave him a hug. And that was kind of how we we met was like, hey, I'm Lindsay. I'm going to give you a hug. And then I'm going to go in here and give you my liver. And I'll see you later. But first, some headlines. The family of the former Kansas City police detective convicted of killing a black man filed a formal clemency request with Missouri Governor Mike Parson yesterday. KCUR's Peggy Lowe reports. The request has long been rumored and feared by the family of Cameron Lamb, the 26-year-old who was fatally shot by Eric DeValconeer in 2019. DeValconeer's attorney said he had received the informal clemency request from the family, along with, quote, hundreds of additional calls and requests from private citizens on his behalf. Jackson County Prosecutor Gene Peters Baker, who won that conviction, issued a terse reaction, saying we strongly oppose. DeValconeer remains in the Platte County Jail in protective custody. Following a confirmed case of tuberculosis earlier this month, Johnson County health officials say four more people tested positive for the bacteria at Olathe Northwest High School. Beck Shackelford Wanganga of the Kansas News Service reports. A spokesperson for the Johnson County Department of Health and Environment says the four people at Olathe Northwest High School with positive tuberculosis tests will need follow up evaluations. According to the CDC, a person can test positive for tuberculosis bacteria but not have the disease. Earlier this month, health officials identified 425 close contacts of the first active case. So far, only 273 of those close contacts have been tested. Because it can take weeks to test positive for tuberculosis after being exposed, people need to be tested more than once. Health officials say there will be more TB testing at the school in mid-November. Local police organizations want four Overland Park police officers charged with mishandling charitable funds. KCUR's Frank Morris has more. The Overland Park Police Officers Foundation was set up to help police families when officers are hurt or killed. But most donations were funneled instead to four officers, three serving on the board, or kept by a private company the board hired to raise money. That's according to audits of the foundation and a Kansas City Star investigation. The four Overland Park officers have been on administrative leave since May of last year, when Johnson County District Attorney Steve Howe launched an investigation. Howe says it turned up evidence of self-dealing, but not enough evidence to warrant criminal charges. The Fraternal Order of Police and the Foundation want the officers to be prosecuted, in part to help salvage the Foundation's broken reputation. Kansas City could get a direct rail line from downtown to the airport under a new federal partnership. KCUR's Salisa Kalakal reports. Kansas City signed an agreement with the U.S. Department of Transportation that officials say will support several big-ticket infrastructure projects, totaling $15 billion. They include an east-west streetcar, a rail line to the airport, and bridge repairs. Mayor Quentin Lucas says the partnership will help fast-track some of these projects. What I think we're recognizing with the growth of Kansas City is we need all of this moving at once. This allows us to have the capacity to do it. Kansas City is the second city in the country to form such a partnership with the Department of Transportation. We'll be back after this.
Medical experts say increasing the number of liver transplants that use organs from living donors could help more Americans access life-saving transplants. The University of Kansas Health System plans to join a growing number of hospitals that offer the procedure. Rose Conlin of the Kansas News Service brings us one donor's story. It started with a Facebook post. Lindsay Wilson saw her friend share something about a man named Gary. He had a rare autoimmune disease, and he needed a liver donor. A lot of what drew me to the post was because of our common interest in music, and then that he was needing someone with the same blood type as mine. So, I mean, there was just enough things that kind of, I was like, oh yeah, well, I would, I would possibly be a good candidate. Lindsay is 41 and lives in southwest Kansas. She's a speech-language pathologist and a classically trained singer. Gary is a retiree and a bluegrass musician in Olathe. They'd never met before. At some point, Lindsay found out that Gary and his wife had a teenage daughter. And so that also kind of reminded me of my dad, because my dad passed away when I was 17. And so that was the other thing that really made me feel like, okay, this is something I should do, because I could change things to make it so that their youngest daughter got the opportunities that I didn't get. My mom, she calls me up and she says, I've just decided this is not what you're going to do. I just, I don't have a good feeling about this. So I just, you're just not going to do it. Okay, I'll talk to you later. And so then eventually I was like, you know, it really isn't your decision. You can either support me and be there or you can not. When you really think about the extent of the surgery, it's a pretty crazy thing to do. And so I was fairly selfish in not really caring what anyone else or wanted from me. She traveled to Pennsylvania for testing and eventually surgery. Only a handful of hospitals in the U.S. perform living donor liver transplants. She talked to surgeons, social workers, and psychiatrists who were all trying to make sure she knew what she was signing up for. So when they do the surgery, they cut through three layers of abdominal muscle. Um, let's see, so then they move your ribs, push your diaphragm down, they take out your gallbladder, and they take whatever they need, which would be the blood supply and whatever portion of the liver that they need to take. And so your liver regenerates, but it actually moves into kind of a different position because your intestines start to move into that hole. And so that's a lot of why you don't want to overdo with the activity is because everything's kind of readjusting and it might not adjust into the right spot. When was the first time that you met Gary? Right before we went into surgery, I met him right at, yeah, right before we went into surgery. I mean, it was, so, it was so awkward. I felt awkward. I don't know how he felt, but like, I just didn't know what to do. And so I think I did say, you know, like, can I give you a hug? I'm not a hugger, but I did say, can I give you a hug? And I think I gave him a hug. And that was kind of how we, we met was like, Hey, I'm Lindsay. I'm going to give you a hug. And then I'm going to go in here and give you my liver and I'll see you later. <laughs> Lindsay says you can't separate her decision to donate an organ from a traumatic experience she had years ago when she was in her 20s. She was assaulted, and she thought she was going to die. And I remember when I kind of realized that I was going to survive that, I knew at some point I would have an opportunity to pay it forward. I had a lot of, like, survivor's guilt and some of that kind of stuff, you know. And so when you are trying to understand why in the world you live and someone else doesn't. It, it's, it's a unique and horrible experience. 
But not only did I survive and did I thrive, but now I also had the opportunity to help someone else live. And I think it just kind of gave me this, this opportunity to look at life differently. Instead of saying something about what coulda, shoulda, woulda with somebody else who I have no control over, this was like, okay, but I have control over these things. And, I, and it just made me think about it differently. And I think that was also where my mom got really nervous. And so when she finally realized that I was doing this for me, that made her feel like, okay, you've thought it through. This is about me being able to give back. There was something just right before surgery, it was snowing outside and I'm just sitting there and just, it was like the world just kind of stopped. I didn't have to think about anything else, but just, you know, existing in that moment. It just made me feel so comfortable with my decision. I went back at the three month mark and then everything was regenerated. Two months after that, and she was running her first race since surgery, four miles. Another few months and she ran a half marathon and signed up for a second one. Oh, I'm better than I was before surgery, I feel like now. So it started with just me walking on the treadmill. And then I think I ran a mile, but it was like a 12-minute mile. Is it really running? You know? (laughs) Um, Eventually got back into it. Okay, but that was fun. Actually, it was really fun to, like, get back into it. A little annoying, but fun. There's also a level of it that's kind of interesting and you kind of look at things differently because now I'm looking at like what my body can do and how amazing it is that your body can do these things. It hasn't all been easy. She had to be careful in the early days not to push it too hard. There's a risk of hernia. She says it took way longer to get her abdominal muscles back than she expected. But she says she would do it all over again in a heartbeat. I mean, it still kind of feels like, okay, like it's, it's just something I did. It's not, I don't know, it gets a little awkward when people talk about it like it's something really special. You know, you're giving up such a small portion of your day-to-day life for such a huge gain in the long run. And I'm not even talking about Gary, I'm talking about for myself. You know, to really understand the value of life and how precious it is and how... We aren't guaranteed tomorrow. Yeah, I was going to ask you if you felt like it changed you. I mean, it clearly, it, it does, it did. You know, now I'm trying to live my day-to-day, you know, taking in, like, even when I do those runs, like, I stop at the mountain and I look around and it's like, look at the mountain. Who cares about the run time? Like, look at the world around you. I just, I don't know, I wish that other people would find ways to have those things in their life and would understand that how much I got from from this experience. That was Lindsay Wilson from Johnson City speaking to Rose Conlin of the Kansas News Service. The Kansas News Service is a collaboration of KMUW, KCUR, High Plains Public Radio, and Kansas Public Radio. It reports on health, the many factors that influence it, and their connection to public policy. You can learn more about living organ donation at ksnewsservice.org. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. 
This podcast is produced by Byron Love, Anna Schmidt, and KCUR Studios. It's edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. To read Rosa's story about liver donation, visit kcur.org, where you can find more local news from Kansas City's NPR station. If you like our show and want to help us out, you can leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you tomorrow. This podcast is looking for good deals on great food, but sometimes we need to grab a bite late at night. What are some of your favorite late-night happy hours in the KC Metro? Text us at 816-601-4777. That's 816-601-4777. Standard texting rates apply.